Camp has a relentless power to frustrate any effort to pinpoint it. It is no mere thing of set features, a tactic, and a situated form of interaction. Camp is untraceable and unpredictable, and it cannot be mapped or anticipated. It just happens. Fabio Cletto, 2019. It's a blast from the past. A classic, and at the same time, progressive. Go, go. go. It's like there's no tomorrow. Gosh, that's what I'm going to be okay. Go, go. go. It's like a breath of fresh air. Welcome to Camp Film Club, your new favourite podcast that prides itself in being always silly, often sassy, and all too scrappy. In today's episode, we will be unpacking a camp film that through its sensationalising of scum, sex, and scat, earns itself the tagline, an exercise in poor taste. Speaking of poor taste, today's co-host is the most humble-natured actor I know. Perhaps best known for the legendary role of Quintus in an ancient episode of Doctor Who a very long time ago. He was also recently seen as a series regular on the Techers for BBC. He is also an accomplished playwright, achieving national success with his two plays, Alex in Wundergarten and Looking Through Glass, which he also starred in. Like I said, very humble. Nobody better for the job than him. Probably didn't even consider putting a call out on Spotlight. I'm just going to introduce him before he gets really angry and hangs up. Francois Pandolfo, welcome. Thank you. Yes, I'm very humble. Just want, yeah, very humble. Um, just in case you didn't say that. Um, so where's my Camp Film Club party bag? Um, Camp Film Club party bag in the post, darling, as soon as we finish this episode. Now, what would be in a Camp Film Club party bag? That's what I want to know. Oh, I don't think you do want to know. <laughs> Answers on a postcard, please, listeners. Uh, are you excited to talk about pink flamingos today? Very, very excited, nervous, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I- I- anxious about what's going to come out of my mouth. Now I've been poisoned by pink flamingos. Very similar. When I wa- when I watched it last night, I definitely had a shower afterwards um... <laughs> with wire wool. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I have got some very... Uh, what's that orange scrubby stuff that you call? You, you know, like that the uh, builders pomeg- and stuff use. Oh, a build- oh, builders. What were you going to call it? Pomegranate. What do they use? Gloves. Dirty oily gloves. <laughs> Answers on a postcard, please. <laughs> Listeners. I have to say as well, about this pink flamingos, this, <laughs> this pink flamingos, um, I am a really, really bad gay and I feel like I need to just just say this because obviously if it was Alan Turing, yeah, you know, got his number, George Michael, yeah, let's go outside, whatever. But I did not know much about Divine. So this was a real jump in the dark, complete virgin. And God, have I been spoiled. (laughs) Ruined. Ruined, dirtied. What a place to start. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot to shock me, but there were moments in this when I did, I had to look away. I mm-hmm. looked away like a, a young geisha girl. <laughs> I had to avert my eyes from the, the filth that was on the screen. Um, and I've seen a lot of stuff, like my cousin sends me daily 
videos. I don't know where he gets them from, but he takes a lot of pleasure in sending me the most disturbing videos. God knows where that. They, honestly, they would make your toes curl. But even like, yeah, there's no comparison. This, this, this equally made me gasp. Shall we talk about it? No. <laughs> Released in 1972, Pink Flamingos is directed and written by John Waters. It stars the legendary drag performer Divine and regular John Waters collaborators Mink Stoll and David Lockery. The film follows the story of Divine, the filthiest person alive who is hiding out in a pink trailer under the alias of Babs Johnson. Her filth factor is envied by Connie and Raymond Marble, who want the title of filthiest person all for themselves. We follow their many desperate, dirty attempts to overthrow Divine and terrorise her family. Pink Flamingos began its life premiering on a single screen in a rented theatre in Waters' hometown of Baltimore. After becoming a pop culture favourite of the midnight movie circuit of the 1970s, it was banned in several countries, given an X rating because of its content, and it's infamous for its shock factor, in particular, the most famous scene where Divine eats a real-life dog bowel movement. <laughs> I've, ri- I've written, but I've written dog turd, but I think bowel movement is just a little bit classier, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Think of the dog. You know, Divine gets yeah. all. You Come know, on. yeah, the recognition for this. But that that dog was equally. You know, it, it was part of it, wasn't it? <laughs> That's it? I mean, that dog. That dog's dead now. It must be. Must be dead. Otherwise, it would must be, be the oldest dog in the world, wouldn't it? It'd be like <laughs> how, old, how old would it be? It would be like in its fifties. Fifties, yeah. I just plucked that. I, out. I plucked that out of the air. Then I, didn't I, I think it. it's. I think it's a dead dog. It's a very dead dog. I read a. Um, I read an inter- um Well, not an interview, but just like like a little quote of what Divine was saying about it. She, she was like, we were following, <laughs> she was like in full costume, we were with cameras and everything. We were following that dog around for three hours until it had a bowel movement. So the dog, hang so on the, a minute. So the dog wasn't, wasn't actually an actor in the show. It was found. I don't, I don't know. I, I, that, that's what's interesting is like, I don't, was it, was that man just taking it for a walk? Or? Yeah. And did they, did you know? I don't know. But they were following the dog around for three hours until it took a bowel movement. So me saying bowel movement was actually in memory of Divine. Yes. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't, you know, to be fair, it's, it's, I mean, it did make me wretch. But it wasn't a lot, was it? It was, it was a little dog. You know, let's... <laughs> You've seen my, you've seen my dog. Well, you've seen my dog take a shit. That would be quite. That would be a a starter main and dessert all in one, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's like fucking Game of Thrones. Yeah, because he's an Alsatian, isn't he? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so I mean, it's still disgusting. Because do you know why it's so disgusting? If it was, I was thinking about this last night. If it had been crusty, you know, like a little hardened, a little, you know, do you know what I mean? Like if it, it seemed like it was fried. That it wouldn't have been so bad. The fact that it was wet, and she, yeah, and and even she, I think that's what made it worse. Is even she couldn't quite she swallow. Little, she has a little face, isn't she? She's still, mm-hmm. yeah. A little. There's a little moment where she's like, "Oh my god, I fucking regret this." Yes, and she doesn't. Like, she puts it all in her mouth. Like if you've ever seen two girls in a cup, which you know I obviously haven't. It's disgusting. No, me neither. Um, but she kind of just swills it around in her mouth. I mean, I'm doing the motion now. Rather than <laughs> rather than full swallow, you know. In terms of campness, well, 
what makes it camp? Because on paper, it's actually just really fucking gross, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But what actually, why is it, why has it become this cult camp queer celebration? What do you think? See, for me, this is a really, you've opened up a can of worms by asking that, asking that question because before I can even deal with that, I feel like I need to first like face my fear of this word camp because I don't even know what camp means because it's so mutated in my mind as this dirty word that I mean, not to just like <laughs> shit all over yeah, the like, whole, camp whole film concept club. of whole concept of the podcast is dead now. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. But what I'm thinking of is if we can just deal with that first, then we come back to the film because I, I thought you might find this interesting. But I, it just is that word that makes me still at 38, <clears throat> 21, makes me um, <laughs> completely cringe, and it, I can't see the wood from the trees because it has past connotations of hiding and a truth to who I was that couldn't be shown. And so I had to pretend to be something else. And then as I got older, I thought, oh, well, I'm an actor. Surely I can embrace my campness. And then within that, it kind of didn't disappear. It just it just got magnified because then our industry was so full of, no, camp is still a dirty word. You can't be camp as an actor because no one will want you. So, yeah, I... I don't know actually know what that word camp means apart from to me something that is weirdly actually disgusting. So maybe there's that maybe that is my way into this is it is very camp for me because uh, unlike other films because it is so grotesque and that's what I associate with it. Something that I've come to realize is that there's like there's no and and this is I think I see this this way, and you may not, and that's totally fine, but hopefully we can change your mind by the end. <laughs> but... <laughs> no, but that's the thing. Like, I need I need to, it to be reclaimed. Like, and it's the same same in terms of, um, like, the, the word queer, and, like, that's already being reclaimed. But for me, I'm, I feel yeah. like I'm a few steps behind because I'm not ready. What I want to do in this podcast is find the joy and the diversity of it. Mm-hmm. So what this what camp means to me, what camp means to you, rather than being like, no, your definition doesn't align with mine. It's like, cool, cool. It means different things. Mm-hmm. And especially what's, and I think that's what's so interesting about camp on screen is that it kind of, camp sci-fi is different to camp comedy, which is then different to camp in the 70s, which is different to camp in the 30s. You know, I think if The Wizard of Oz was made now, you'd just be like, okay, great, it's like a colour movie, but like The Wizard of Oz was camp because it was Technicolor and it was... Of a time, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. It, put you, and it... And then... And then whatever happened to Baby Jane is camp because it's in black and white, because she did the makeup herself, because it's Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Um, I guess there's... There is no definition. No, but I guess that that's the thing, isn't it? It should be, it needs to be personal. It needs to be, I think exactly. just in my head, what I had to do, just because, again, I, like I said, I'm not I'm not ready. To, it still makes me cringe a little bit, that word. And so what I have to, re, I just kind of reword it in my head and say, okay, it's the weird and wonderful. That's that's Absolutely. what it is. Um, and then it really fits with this because I go, okay, I can see the weird and the wonderful in in the whole of the film. I really just, I, I still, and I think I probably always will, really struggle describing a person as camp. Mm. 
like he's so camp or they are so camp I really struggle with mm. I mean I would describe somebody like Jane McDonald as camp definitely <laughs> yes but I don't think I think if somebody wants to say that I'm because I certainly guess I fall into the category of what of the long-term long-held association of what camp actually is but I I don't describe myself as camp I describe myself as like effervescent and mm. outlandish and sparkly mm. uh, <laughs> And I guess, and I guess nowadays it's so much like I'm. I'm so loving the the period that we're living in because actually it's not so much about camp meaning effeminate. It's kind yeah. of it's developed further than that, and it's about being more. Because I'm a little, I'm older than you, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm still very much part of that social conditioning that I know you experienced it too. But um, it's a hard thing to reprogram your mind um, yeah, out of totally. and, unless unless you start yeah I guess I have to just start seeing it in a different way oh I'm so I'm so so glad you brought this up I'm so glad you didn't just like steam through and be like oh yeah come on it's camp because the trailer's pink like, yeah yeah um, <laughs> yeah yeah but also like you said I'm, I also struggled with this being a camp camp film I'm not it doesn't it doesn't strike me massively at being obviously camp in a kind of RuPaul's Drag Race way. It's it's way more avant-garde and, and arty and uh, grotesque. Yeah, it's a grotesque campness, I guess. To answer the question of what actually makes Pink Flamingos camp, I think you really have to put your mind back into, into the period of time in which mm. it was made. Mm. Like, the time, like, that idea of of tolerance for you know, we'll say the we'll say the LGBTQ plus community, um, and sort of by that I mean John Waters and the Dreamlanders, who the Dreamlanders were John Waters's um sort of ensemble of actors and creatives that he would use in most of his films. Mm. Um so Divine is in there, Ricky Lake is in there, um and Mick Stoll is in there. Um so Divine and the Dreamlanders kind of were in this in this group of people that that were that felt like they weren't tolerated. So like kind of like and, Andy Warhol or like his his almost of yeah absolutely. And... and I guess they I I think Pink Flamingos is camp because it kind of it takes that idea of tolerance and it like it obviously it's it's so satirical in the way that it presents itself right down to the the narration and you know the idea that she's live be, being record like being has news reporters and while she commits homicide like it's all clearly satire and i think what it's what i think it achieves campness by trying to put this idea of okay look you you're, you as a society you know this is a world in which people are sex traffickers and people commit homicide and it's kind of okay is that is that really worse than me snogging a guy? Is that really worse mm. than me having sex with a man? Yeah, exactly. I think that's yeah, kind like of what it's trying to do. Like you, you think you think I'm grotesque? Yeah. Well, I'll 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 show you. I'll show you what, what actually gro- this yeah, is grotesque. What exa- exactly? What is grotesque? And then you make the comparison. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's clearly satire. Like it's clearly, clearly, clearly. Like there's no there's no question that it, that it's it's trying to. And it, it, it's you know it's the genre that it fits into is an exploitation comedy. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's obviously as well. It's flipping those ideas of Americana and like the American family values, and it's like amplifying them by a thousand. Like 
essentially what the marbles and divine's family are 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 battling neighbors yeah it's sort of like it's sort of like the idea of mm, my, my gar- grass is, yes my gardens yeah exactly yeah. my dick's bigger than yours yeah essentially yeah, yeah exactly And actually, that in that scope, that hasn't changed a lot. So I reckon you know, that whole, I mean, I know it was way more magnified back then. Stop saying magnified. Um, but like that whole black and white American dream false format of what a family should look like. Actually, mm-hmm. weirdly, that hasn't, I don't think, changed. I think no. it's 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 definitely got more complex in terms of like, you know, gay adoption and and a lot of, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, gay men trying to fit into actually what is a straight ideal. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just interesting mm-hmm. how that, is, that has changed slightly and, and whether and are we losing our, our identity because of that? Mm-hmm. And are we saying that, well, straight people are better because that's what we're, again, we're trying to fit into that mould of what is the norm i uh, i mean that you bringing that up is, is <laughs> a massive question <laughs> no because it because it, like that's that's the reason i'm doing this podcast is because i'm not i have no interest in fitting into the straight ideal mm. and I, I i i don't care if if loving if having a judy garland tattoo makes me a stereotype mm. because you know, I first came across Judy Garland when I was like three minutes old, and and it's been a mad love affair ever since. So she was there. That's a huge. Well, yeah, of course she was, obviously. <laughs> but like, that's a huge part of who I am, and yeah. I'm not going to, you know, suddenly start wearing boring clothes from Next and then pretend that I'm the same as my parents' neighbors because I'm not. Mm-hmm. And that's totally fine for for the for. I mean, I think this is a particularly huge problem in gay men. That's totally fine for the gay men out there who do want to be their their parents' neighbours and do feel like they fit into that world. But I have never felt like I fitted into that world, which is why something like Pink Flamingos is 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 actually like is really appealing to me because I and also like actually if we look at Divine in this film, like her family are just sort of like quietly living their life in a trailer not really bothering anybody and then she's just terrorized by these two people and then you know when you cross her path you fucking know it absolutely i'm not saying she's like a good egg Mm. to use the pun Mm. (laughs) 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 disgusting um she's not a good egg but like she doesn't get there until until you make her and i think that's the same as us Mm. like like I don't think I would do all the things that Divine does, but <laughs> I think she's I think she's a metaphor for for people who are um discriminated against, mm. particularly queer people. Mm. And you know, that scene where she, where they fucking eat the policemen. Yeah. And it's you know, that is that whole idea of it, you look at it and you're like, oh my god, that's disgusting, that's monstrous. But you know, we all know about police brutality, especially in the last year, like it's really come into light, like how much of an issue police brutality is. So yeah. if it was the other way around, mm. which it was three years before in mm. Stonewall. And that's why to me, it seems like, it seems like quite an angry film. Mm-hmm. But, and, and that's not like, that's not ba- like a bad thing. 
because no. it's, it's like it feels like it's a full she's representing a full community of people that yeah. are just striving for validation um but just knocked down every turn by yeah but with literal brute force um and then it feels like that th- this character is at a point where they're going Do you know what okay fine well fuck you then um yeah you want to you want to see ugly i'll show you ugly and it's got heels but- on and they're sharp <laughs> yeah but do you know what but do you know what's also really interesting about it is how like yes it's super super angry but like even that scene with where they eat the policeman when pink champagne by the tyrones is playing and it's like it's like a like a benny hill comedy yeah which and that's what i think makes it camp is like yeah. those moments where it, it lightens up and because it's those moments are actually like really fun and really enjoyable yeah in a sort of disgustingly subversive way like you said like you kind of go into it and you're like yeah i'm having a great time actually like <laughs> yeah because yes you're so right because those those really disturbing scenes like even when she's fellating her own son <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which was another point i had to look away because it just it was something about i don't know what it was the the, the forehead and and the it, 70s bush yes and his gap tooth i don't know um but but it came out of this ridiculous licking all the furniture, which was silly and... So silly. So silly. There's nothing serious about that. And then, bang, you get hit with, oh, now, she, now she's filleting her son. And it's quite quite clever, really. I guess it's it's just about us, like, actually, what moments bring us joy? And, like, if they bring joy and they bring true to us in our, in our truest version of ourselves, which I think, as I know you so personally... So personally, mm. uh, <laughs> too personally. I, I think you are very comfortable with who you are, and I think any moments in 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 the film that kind of make you feel joy, make you kind of want to. I always, I always say as well, like it, if it kind of makes me want to like go out and like go dancing with my gay friends, like that's count. Yes. Like, oh, it fills me with joy. It makes me want to be part of the community. It makes me want to go like rah, rah, rah. like it makes me want to go and like graffiti fucking divine all over a brick wall <laughs> with glitter and my own semen. Yeah. Then I think that's camp. If it gives me that feeling of joy and it gives me that feeling of like being seen and being but in a strange way. It's really gross that I I thought this film would do that for you, isn't it? Florals for spring. Groundbreaking. Costumes were designed by Van Smith, who designed, who was again was one of the Dreamlanders. So he know designed. That. Of course, you know that. Well, it's written in my script. <laughs> <right? So. laughs> um, he was one of the Dreamlanders. He um, so he worked with he worked with um, with John Waters loads, and he um, he designed the costumes for Hairspray, designed the costumes for Polyester. He designed. Because he's, I think, all of his films from Pink, from Pink Flamingos onwards, and he died in two thousand six. Um, John Waters' last film was actually two thousand four. So um, we're waiting. It's almost been twenty years. <laughs> yes, we're waiting. Please, um, which is called Dirty Shame. You will love it. It's great. Oh, there is actually there's really? there's a film coming out. No, no, no. That was the, the, his most recent one. Was in two thousand. Oh, okay. Oh, you got me all excited then. Yeah. I thought, oh, jump to twenty twenty one. He described Divine. His idea for Divine was to make her look like a cross between Jane Mansfield and Clarabelle the Clown. Yeah, and you can kind of see that. I mean, yeah, I think she looked amazing. I yeah. mean, that was one of my big like thumbs up 
big ticks was how incredible she looked mm-hmm. and especially that the opening dress you know where mm-hmm. she goes into town is it gold or it is gold isn't yeah it? it's like the gold i think it's gold on top isn't it yeah yes it with the open be, slit at the front yeah, yeah that's right my little skirt at the, at the bottom i think what i loved about it is you were trying to imagine somebody thin and skinny like a model in it and you just go it just wouldn't work no it just wouldn't work she just works it and sells it and fills the dresses and fills the screen almost like it feels like she's coming out at you you know it's lovely the guy that goes up to and touches her isn't he and he like and she's like get off me and oh he's on the floor uh, yeah yeah like <laughs> latching after her and i'm like yeah i'm like that's, that's silly and yeah totally non-subtle but <laughs> isn't it great to just see like this plus-size drag queen being yeah lusted after like yeah so it's so refreshing and i bet you know in 1972 that was not something you were seeing on screen very often but also i'm sure i read somewhere that um why it was whoopi goldberg i think was saying that she didn't know she didn't that know it was a man yeah was, yeah which is incredible yeah it is incredible but also I, I, <laughs> all right whoopi I th- yeah yeah <laughs> All of her costumes. The I love that she has those two identical fishtail dresses. One is white, one is red. Yeah. I love in the licking scene that blue latex <gasps> thing. Yes. With the halter neck and the and the and the, the old cutout. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And are we are we gonna talk um piabs? Oh I, I hope we can talk piabs. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. Just <laughs> Just to reiterate, pubes is what pubes, I'm saying. Pubes, pubes, you know, pubes. Um, I, I honestly think this needs to. We need to bring this back. I mean, if it was ever in, I don't know. Um, it was in the film, but we like let's let's make a new trend because I am sick of, I'm sick of this whole groomed, trimmed, almost you know underdeveloped look, which is you know all that that. I mean that verges on the the shocking. This is the irony, isn't it? Is that we're like going, oh my God, this film is so shocking. I mean, most of the things that are acceptable nowadays are shocking. Um, and that is one of them, you know, <laughs> people looking like children because so, we, we trim everything. I'm saying, let's bring back the bush. Let's bring back the, 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 the dying blue, of the bush. The, the dying of the bush. The bright blue dying of the bush. <laughs> the, yes, multicolours. I'm going to go full out rainbow. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um... I think I'll, I'll, I'll keep trimming for a little while. I think you should highlight all your glory. <laughs> you can make it luminous and see you at night. <laughs> no, but honestly, there was something quite, I mean, sorry, yeah, I mean, design-wise, it was just so striking, wasn't it? Because you had those, that lovely fluorescent blue coming up from his beautiful <laughs> and then his hair yeah. and her hair and... But I mean, if we're talking camp, that was all so camp. So David Lockery, apparently he dyed his hair. David Lockery, who plays Raymond Marble, um, okay. he dyed his hair with a like a blue magic marker. Apparently. Oh. That's how he did it. I have what? not been able to find any information about how he dyed his pubes. Connie Marble's first outfit. Oh. With those glasses, the blue I knew silk lapel. you were going to say that. Oh my God. That is iconic yes and obviously of course it's paired with that amazing speech that she has about like about the woman that she's interviewing not having any qualifications and all of that stuff and oh my god she's amazing and she doesn't look at the camera she like doesn't she's like not centrally filmed to the camera once like she's literally like nobody's that like 
Oh, I mean, I mean, they're all over the they're place. Over that the was shop. that was Hilarious. the first, like the first kind of 10, 15 minutes was me having to really adjust to this very heightened way of acting where they were like reading their lines <laughs> to, to like trying to get my head around how like how it was possible to fit so many people into one shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was one of the, that office stroke one of the living rooms, room, the living guess, room, yeah. <laughs> yeah, stroke, yeah, waiting room was, um, yeah, that, that a lot of it happened in there a lot. It was crammed to, um, to kind of go on on that a bit and, and just kind of derail slightly from costume, but still in in terms of aesthetic, hmm. is this film I think is very much a signifier of John Waters finding his visual style. I think this is where he kind of really starts to play with visual. Um, mm. I don't know if you've ever seen any other John Waters movies, but um, I probably have because didn't after this he he made loads, didn't he? Yeah, and I mean Hairspray is I guess the most mainstream, um, but of course there was the original Hairspray film which starred Divine and Ricky Lake before yeah. the musical, um, and and sort of Hairspray, Cry Baby, and Hairspray are where you can really see Cry Baby's on Netflix is absolutely worth a watch. It's, it's a it's a, a musical, but it's like it's basically like a piss take of Grease. It's hilarious. Okay, um, and Johnny Depp in like his first lead role, like really really handsome, great. Okay, um, yeah. but he became known for these kind of pastel kind of. Um, wide shot worlds and and um yeah i think this is him first really starting to play with that just just in terms of even not so much here because i guess the budget didn't really allow for him to have oh yeah i was gonna say like yeah let's not forget they took yeah i think he made it with what twelve thousand dollars which is i mean that's that's, mad isn't it it wasn't i wouldn't get out of bed for less than twelve thousand a week love no i don't When will I be receiving the chat? I was going to say that's why you've been in bed for, for ever since March 2020, love. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thank you. Um, I, don't, I don't bat an eyelid for under a thousand pounds. That's my favourite phrase. Um, but like he, even just, even just like the, the big pa- the panel on the side of, of of the trailer is you know pastel pink, and then even just with colour, he's just starting to play with it. And then he really mm. develops his style much, much sort of it, it, when he was really in the stream of things, making things with New Line Cinema in the 80s, like really gets going with his aesthetic. But he's really starting to play with it here. Um, and, and yeah, I just love that we kind of see that little... And I almost think it's stronger in this world because they're in a shitty... You know, it was filmed in a hippie commune. The trailer scene was filmed in a real-life hippie commune. Just outside really? of yeah, just outside of Baltimore, and you know, there's a, an amazing juxtaposition about having divine in that environment, which is just you know all dead leaves, all dead trees, dead grass, and it's just fucking this massive drag queen with clown makeup plonked in the middle of that. <laughs> yes. I think is amazing. Being domestic, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like this is the, yeah, this is our life. Yeah, and that's camp. L- that is fucking it- camp. Yeah, that is camp. Juxtaposition yeah. is camp. Feeding her, infantilizing her mother in the, in the living room trailer by feeding her eggs and talking to her like like she's a baby. I mean, that's camp as well. And I guess that's what I meant earlier on when I said like I actually just relabeled it as the the weird and the wonderful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Edie is 
definitely oh. part of the weird and the wonderful. Oh, she is. She's amazing, though. Like, I know she's... Um, I know she's repulsive, but she's plays. I think she plays that role brilliantly. Yeah, and also, did you clock that scene when she's with the Eggman? Um, and there's steam coming out of his breath. It's so cold. Like, it's clearly freezing cold. And she's just there in, sat a, in this baby pants, crib yeah, with, her, with her knickers and bra. <laughs> oh, my God, that's wild. I did not notice that. Yeah, didn't you? And there was no steam coming from her mouth. See, that's a professional. <laughs> she, can, she can even disguise how cold it is. The late, great Edith Massey. There's no finer one-liner. Someone has sent me a bowel movement. It's just a Thursday for you, isn't it, babe? They're all gathered around. Yeah. Opening the beautiful gift, which doesn't seem to end either. Like, there's a, <laughs> there's a bag, then there's a box, and there's another box inside the other box. And <laughs> There's the wrapping. <laughs> Come on, get to it. Why, I haven't fallen in love for three whole days. I'm just itching for someone with an imagination. Now that, now that is my mantra. <laughs> uh, where are they? I don't where, know. Where have all the good men gone? I guess there's just two kinds of people, Miss Sunstone. My kind of people and assholes. It's obvious which category you fit into. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, straight away, that was that was the first thing I almost wrote down. So I'm glad, yeah, that you clocked it. Because... She is she's exceptional, isn't she? Oh, some that's, cra- cracking lines. That's from that's a Connie Marble line, uh, which is played by Mink Stoll, a long, long, long time collaborator of John Waters. Watch as he not only commits another act of indecent exposure but adds to this social horror by making his wife wait in the car. Is there no shame? <laughs> uh, we haven't mentioned this yet, but the, f- the film is narrated by, or sort of commentated by, John Waters. So he plays like a kind of a narrator and puts on this really silly, almost kind of southern mid-Atlantic accent. Um, and he, he narrates the whole thing, and that's John Waters' voice. And that is that is one of his little passages. And I think that whole... That if if you took those away, I think the film would suddenly become like a big Empty. notch, a big notch less satirical, hmm. arguably a notch less camp. Yeah, you need that commentary, don't you? And that's where the yeah. satire comes in. It's a bit you, like you know, um, come dine with me. It's the voiceover, it's the narration <laughs> that it is true, though, isn't it? Like it makes the program because he just there's a there's a real sense of I'm. Um, I'm helping take the piss out of this. This isn't supposed to be taken mm-hmm. seriously. But that's what's so great about Pink Flamingos is you're like, okay, I know, I know where I am in this. Yeah, like, it's very obvious. And that's yeah. what makes it so excellent. And that's camp. That self-awareness is camp. That like being in on the joke. Yeah. Is not taking yourself seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a good a good lesson in life, actually, not to take yourself too seriously. Oh my God, what a horrible photograph. My first wanted poster and I looked just awful. <laughs> Did you like that? Did you like that? Tried an accent. Tried an accent, darling, darling. <laughs> well, there's a backstory to this, isn't there? Because isn't this the link with at the time of shooting? Mm-hmm. Didn't, um, I always get the name confused. Charles, is it Charles Manson and, his, and the women? Mm-hmm. Um, that's right, Sharon Tate. Tate, that's it. Yes, 
that it was that wave, wasn't it? That was happening mm-hmm. at the simultaneously. That's right. The trial um, of Sharon Tate was happening, I think, a year or two, maybe the year that it was released, similar mm-hmm. time. Which probably just added to the the, the demonization of these characters and, and mm-hmm. the what was going on of the time. And yeah, yeah, being that, that competition of who could be the filthiest yeah, and the, the, the evilest yeah. and the, yeah, the most murderous. She cares a lot about her appearance, though, Desire to Find. She does. She does. <laughs> Which is fair enough, I would. Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Filth is my politics. Filth is my life. <laughs> I love the effort of the accent. It's great. Thanks, love. I love how you told me not to do divine, and then you did it like perfectly. <laughs> I did not. You were like, "Don't do the divine voice because I'm gonna do it." <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin it. Dame trivia, Newton John. I think this is linked with like filth is my life. That the whole theme of 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 it being pink flamingos and what that is like. But flamingos, flamingos eat. They're ground eaters, aren't they? They're, they're, they eat the, the algae and the shit and the and the the shrimps, and that's why they're pink. Mm-hmm. So what eat by eating the shit makes them beautiful. Makes them still beautiful and makes them kind of stay. Yeah, yeah. and of course it kind of comes from, the title also comes from that, um, again, the Americana thing that we talked about earlier, like, oh, pink flamingos in the, in the front garden and, like, everything's perfect, everything's white picket fences, pink flamingos, which is a very 50s, 60s, middle-class America thing, wasn't it? Mm. And obviously, in the first shot, you've got those fucking flamingos in the middle of this abandoned commune <laughs> outside of that trailer. Yeah, and in the very last shot, you've got her eating shit. And I feel like, and I feel like that is you are what you eat, and that's exactly what that like a, a, a pink flamingo, a flamingo is exactly that. It is what it eats. It's not really trivia, though, is it? No. So, in, in very first screenings of pink flamingos, vomit bags. Those chickens being slowly tortured to death in a sex scene. I I did have to look away because I found it a bit too disturbing. But I think, yeah, yeah, for me, you know, animals. I draw the line at animals. <laughs> and you know how dark I am. John Waters in many interviews is like, oh, I would never do that now. And I think... Good. That doesn't make it acceptable but yeah I'm going to move on from the chicken sex scene <laughs> <laughs> no do do <laughs> do please do the other thing I found quite disturbing I mean I don't know whether you use this one the other thing I found quite disturbing was um something quite random actually like the penis on a penis mm-hmm. do you know when he was flashing tied, tied the sausage to his penis yeah, but then in the second one, so we did it twice, and in the second one, it looked like some kind of, I don't know, was it a horse penis or a cow yeah, penis or something? weird, yeah. On his penis. For some yeah. reason, I found that really disturbing. <laughs> one of the worst things for me, one of the worst things for me is, um, I can't believe you haven't mentioned it yet, is the prolapsed anus that lip syncs to Surfing Bird. Oh, yes. Also, what you haven't mentioned is, you know, Ursula. From the Little Mermaid. Sorry, yeah, I can't yeah. believe we've gone from prolapse dangers <laughs> to, to Disney. <laughs> to Disney, you know. We'll so have to, yeah, we'll have to just play a little tune in there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ursula was Inspired based on by. 
yeah yeah based divine. on divine based on i divine. didn't know that and that Did is you know? amazing <gasps> news because i adore again as a kid like she was i was obsessed with her oh, but didn't too. know why you know i wonder if they would get if they were going to try and get divine to voice her because she because divine died in 1988 and the little moment wasn't released until 89 so i wonder if when they were like making plans for the little moment or whatever they were planning to to get her to voice her uh, she didn't make it could you imagine wouldn't that have been great that's because she although that shit although pat carroll is amazing now interesting you say that because she ate that shit so this is a <laughs> this is a bit of this is a bit of a myth bust so i always remember reading interviews or like seeing interviews and people being like oh yeah divine had to go into hospital for like a week after eating the dog shit untrue but do you know what he did do he called <laughs> he called the hospital pretended he was a mother of a child who had just eaten a dog shit and said, oh. to the, said to the hospital... I thought you were going to say, pretended the child had shat in him. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure has happened. I've seen, you know, yes, babies can projectile shit. And I'm sure some some daddies and mummies have had <laughs> shit answers in their mouths. On, on, answers on a postcard again, please, ladies and gents. Um, <laughs> yeah, send them in with pictures. Answers on a postcard, please. Um... So yeah, they, they, he called the hospital and said, my my kid's just eaten a dog turd. Will my kid die? And they were like, no, it happens every day. Of course it does. <laughs> of course, it, of course does. it does. Yeah. This is the problem nowadays, you see. That's why everyone's got allergies. <laughs> this is not true, by the way, but it's, it's, a, it's a warped theory of mine because we're all so clean. Yeah, we need to get back clean. out in the dirt and roll around in the dirt <laughs> and eat poo. And <laughs> Raymond and Connie's house was actually Mink Stoll and John Waters' house that they were living in together at the time. Um, so they just oh. they just filmed in their own house. Of course they did. I did wonder that. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I wonder. I wonder but... if the if the, if the sex dungeon was theirs. <laughs> what the bit? <laughs> what the downstairs bit with some like yeah <laughs> budge chippings and some yeah. fag ends? <laughs> yeah. I if that's if that was like that, or if they had to dress it up a bit. Oh, I hope that's dress it up. That would be. Ooh. Oh God, really? Do you really want to know this? Yeah. Okay, so it's the guy. It's a guy um, holding up his hands, like I don't know. Yeah, what else? Um, kissy lips, mm-hmm. hand over mouth, like oops, um, <laughs> vomit. A vomit and the green face. You know who that's to. Me. That's to my. That's to my cousin. <laughs> let's go vomit. Let's go vomit. Oh no! Let's go green face. Let's go green face. Okay, green face. So, what does this mean? You'll find out now. No. Oh. So uh, your most recently used emoji is a little little green face man, which is quite appropriate. Um, in terms of campness. If we're going to rate Pink Flamingos' campness out of ten, with with a green face emoji as our kind of our kind of rector scale, how many would you give it? It's gone up since our conversation, so I'm going to say five. Ooh, I was going to say I was going to say like a seven. Well, that's like a three out of five. I've just given. I mean, that, that's that's an indifferent. That's a boring. That's a hmm. someone with no personality. Don't want a three star review from the stage, do you? You do. Not. <laughs> you do not. I'll take the one, love. Thanks. 
I would argue that we had on Alex and Wundergarden, we had all five. We had a one, a two, a three, a four, and a five. Oh, I lovely. Love that. That's great. So it just shows, shows that it's all bollocks, doesn't it? I want to know and I wonder who is more filthy, you or me? <laughs> Do you know what I'm going to say to that? <laughs> Answers on a postcard, please, listeners. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here at Camp Film Club. You can keep the camp conversation going by following our Twitter page at Camp Film Club using the hashtag Camp Film Club. Camp Film Club also has a Spotify playlist where you can relive your favourite soundtrack moments of our featured camp films. Yes, you can play How Much Is That Doggy in the Window and defecate to your heart's content. Discussion on the Camp Film Club are opinions of our guests only and are not endorsed by the actors, directors, producers, or writers of our featured films. In fact, quite the opposite. The Camp Film theme is composed by Michael Robert Lowe.